0: Uh, anything else?
1: No, that's pretty much enough, I think, um, so, all things considered.
2: So, yeah. starting so, I Just, start just testing my mute button to make sure that it's working tonight. <laughs> <laughs>
1: just
0: uh, I make sure that I scum. You are nothing but scum. <laughs> so do you guys come across, in your fl- years of flying, have you come across many pilots who decided to start flying without the benefit of an actual license? <laughs> i actually did uh, i i and, and with i certainly without naming names but uh but i came across a, a guy on the ramp uh at an airport that i used to fly at and he started telling me these stories about you know you know and you have these start you, you just t- start chatting like you do with pilots and you talk about the early days and when did you start flying and when you and he started telling me all these stories about how he was uh you know i'd flown this uh um oh darn the uh the twin tailed aircraft that was famous for not having rudder pedals aircoop uh, air Coupe, thank you um how he'd flown the had owned an air Coupe and he'd been flying it all over california and uh and then eventually decided oh well, maybe i'll get a license <laughs> and i'm going huh <laughs> um, you know and, and by all by all indications he was a, a good pilot i mean they I, you know he was certainly a good pilot by the time i met him on the ramp and uh so and and i've occasionally come across a couple other people in all my chatting with people here and there that you kind of get an indication that maybe hmm, they're telling these stories in a funny way like the cart's not before the horse or vice versa and I'm wondering what's going on here. Have you come across many of these in your your time? One or Is it a common thing do you think? Not anymore. Uh, It's a very (laughs) uncommon (laughs) Ever since you got your license right? It's
1: right. Uh, It's a very uncommon thing. Um... You know, well, you know, one of our uh, uh, erstwhile participants here tonight, Dave, you know, kind of start, sort of
0: started flying. Yeah, but that's but you he know, was li- he was flying legally all the time. That's my. He point. He was
1: flying legally, um, but it, but he had a lot of time, a lot of experience uh, in aircraft um, before he went and got a medical and and became a student pilot and, and got his private. Um, there are you know if you get out in the weeds you get outside the the urban areas and and you get outside um uh you know the, the various grass strips and and stuff like that around the country yeah there's there's people out there without without uh, formal training without a log book and without a certificate sure
2: i he- i hear tell of a guy who's <laughs> worked in this business yeah who's met three or four over the years really uh Probably the most interesting one was a fellow who'd grown up with his flying alongside his father who learned to fly at a time when there were no licenses. You just paid your money to the barnstormer and learned to fly. And the old man went out and bought a Jenny. And then one day he bought a Travel Air. And then he bought something. He'd finally settled down on an old tailor craft. Mm-hmm. And he'd never gotten a license He'd been flying 30 years when he had a son and started flying the son alongside him. And he never went anywhere very far. Mm -hmm. You know, he'd fly to the county fly-ins. He'd fly to the county fair. Uh, He might fly to a cattle buy or something like that. But we're talking 50, 75 miles. Mm -hmm. And then he'd fly home again. Hmm. He never interacted with anybody. And that's the way his son learned to fly and As far as I know, uh, his son had become conscious enough, enough, cognizant about exactly what he was doing in the modern age Mm -hmm. and limited his flying to the same basic pattern that his dad had. (laughs) Pretty much nowhere where he'd ever expected to get ramp checked. Right. said, I'm not bothering anybody. I'm not going anywhere, and I'm not talking to anyone. the,
1: The flip side of which is, and I'm not bragging when I say this. Um, it's been 35 years since I got my private ticket, and I have yet to be ramp-checked.
2: Oh, there goes that string. Uh, <laughs> well, you just which, you know, sign
1: me up, sign me up. Yeah. But, you know, um, I've never been ramp-checked. I've had, you know, people ask me for my logbook and certificate in medical when I rent an airplane. Right. But yeah. uh, the only times I've ever shown my paperwork to a fed has been when I go for another rating.
2: Yeah. Well, and this this gentleman lived out in a rural area and he flew off the same property where he grew up on uh flying the same airplane that he learned to fly with his daddy and I met a couple of others over the years, not exactly the same story in most cases. And then I did know one gentleman who had been licensed Uh, And for various unfortunate and bad timing reasons, he was no longer licensed. But that didn't mean he didn't consider himself viable and Mm -hmm. aerial. And so he kind of did the bob and weave. He flew when he went to when he felt like he could get away with it.
0: Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure.
2: But it, it, it was no question in his mind he knew what he was doing.
0: And then there's the story of Edwin Stoltenberg. It's <laughs> the story that prompted this whole discussion. What a on, segue on, on my end. Uh, this is from an, a story, an article uh, in uh, Avweb. Uh, The the headline, which I think the headline is not quite accurate, but the headline is "Cub Survives Crash Pilot's Career May Not. Uh, I'll read a couple paragraphs here. Civil fines and a possible court injunction that would prevent future acquisition of a pilot certificate may be sought for 26-year-old Edwin Stoltenberg. That's kind of harsh. Who crashed his father's Super Cub on a sandbar in Alaska last weekend. Stoltenberg may have been at the controls, but he was not a certificated pilot, nor does he hold a valid medical, according to uh, an Alaskan TV show station that was reporting this. Uh, This TV station reported that Stoltenberg was denied his medical in August of 08 because the FAA found that he had three convictions for drunken driving and has since acquired a fourth. According to the NTSB preliminary report, witnesses say the young man made several passes on the river, maybe as many as five or six, touching the aircraft's wheels to the water before contact with a sandbar and then flipped the aircraft. Uh, Although on a river in Alaska, the precise area of flight was populated at the time with at least one family uh, and two other children who were fishing. After the wreck, one young man approached the inverted aircraft, saw Stoltenberg inside, and heard Stoltenberg's first words were, Don't call the cops. <laughs> and so... Um this, now, see, my question is, you know, so they're, they're saying that they're going to, like, prevent him from ever getting a pilot's license. Well, that hasn't stopped them so far. I don't know what's going well, <laughs> to. You know? Well, yeah. Um, so like, well, it, just for that, son, we're not going to let you have a pilot certificate. Uh,
1: it gets better, though, because uh, according to this report, this is on AvWeb from a week or so ago, uh, Stoltenberg reportedly called friends to the site they used an off-road vehicle to flip the aircraft and tow it to the trees before police arrived. Later on, the young, uncertified, quote, pilot, unquote, returned to the scene and allegedly flew the aircraft home, which is which is an excellent testament to Piper, but has different consequences <laughs> with the FIA and the NTSB. Um, <laughs> um, uh, well, okay. You know... Uh, they do things different in Alaska.
0: <laughs> well, there is that, yeah. Uh,
2: well, that that's kind of been a, a, a problem image for the states and a problem image for the FAA that, you know, there's been a, 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 that, that such a nod and wink thing exists that pilots <laughs> could expect to get away with that. And I always figured, that, you know, word's going to get around. Somebody's going to talk, but this one, oh man, uh, dude, uh, well.
1: yeah, um, mm, um, yeah, dude,
2: dude, you, you, you're, you're, you're not only dicing with, you know, an injunction, which would be interesting to see them get that. I don't think I've heard of that before, uh, but the fact that the the terror penalties here that could, state, local, federal, they could put your butt. Behind tubes, but not fuselage tubes. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. so, I don't know, it's just, it's, I've always thought about this, like I said, I've, I've come across people like, I mean, not, and, and the folks that I've met didn't seem to be as brazen about it as this guy. Um, yeah, you know, It's like Dave described, they just went out and flew, and they f- seemed to fly safely and fly mm-hmm. reasonably, they just didn't do it with the benefit yeah. of a license, but this guy, quite a story, so uh, yeah. I don't know, we'll have
1: to... Um you remember david my buddy who was down for sun and fun yeah uh he tells a story about um running into a guy when he was flight instructing back in the day uh tells a story about a guy who flew in and i think i might have met this guy if it's the same one i'm thinking about um but um owned his own airplane and uh you know would, would fly into the local airport on occasion you know get a coke buy some gas fly back out and one day, David kind of struck up a conversation with him, and they're talking, and, and uh, well, you know, it turns out the guy doesn't have a certificate. Um, he, he, you know, just somehow picked it up and, and bought the airplane and been flying the airplane. And, you know, God only knows the last time the airplane thing had had an annual <laughs> and, you know, things like that. Um, this was, you know, 30, 40 years ago.
0: Yeah, I suppose if you're out in the out in the you know, you know out in the 25,
1: 25, 30 years ago, yeah you
0: know, if you're far away from the rest of the system and
1: uh, I don't know. Yeah, well, you know if you're landing on a river in Alaska, yeah, um, but uh, you know after your fourth DUI though, you kind of need to at twenty six years old, you kind of need to sit back and take stock.
2: Well, I, and figure
1: I, and figure out who you are and where you want to be. You know,
2: you take stock before they put you in some stocks. <laughs>
1: uh. <laughs>
0: Hey, welcome, folks, to episode 134 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on Sunday evening, May 10th, 2009. It's Mother's Day, and uh, we want to send best wishes to all the moms out there who listen to our podcast, and uh, I went and spent the afternoon with my mom today. Uh, I'm, good for you. I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate in that I'm still able to go spend time with my mom, and uh, so I had a good time uh, with my, also two of my brothers, or one of my brother, one brother and one sister, actually two. It was a big gang of us there we had a good time so uh so hi to all the moms that are out there and uh, and then also let me say hi to the gang they're here in the virtual hangar one voice there is uh, jeb burnside who's talking to us from sarasota county florida (laughs) hi jeb how you doing yeah we're not quite in the city now that you know that uh it bugs me now that i've been given the wrong location for you for for months now so but the mailing address the mailing
2: address is set this stage and, and and coming to us live from the runway end at nine, runway nine at under the Spanish oh. bus. There
0: you go. See, I was actually holding back from from precisely locating our friend Jeb. So I was, although we have said the name of his airpark in the past. Yeah, well, uh, it's. So and, yeah, right. So let's like let's just give them the GPS coordinates while we're at it. <laughs> well, I've and I've
1: got it. You know, tucked into my uh, my my five my five thirty does not have this airport in its database. Really? Uh, really. Uh-huh. Uh, now, my, my 396 does. Go figure. Uh, hmm. uh, seriously. Yeah. But so, uh, And the databases are all
2: up to date? That's really weird.
1: Yeah. It is really weird. And I, I think it's probably got something to do with uh, um, either the way I've got – it, it might be in the database, but the way I've got the 530 set up to ignore runways less than 3,000 feet or something
0: like that, I don't know.
2: Oh, yeah, that okay. would certainly do it.
0: But – um, Why would you ignore runways less than three thousand feet? That's like a lot of good flying there. Well, it's it's for the nearest runway. And when you function. need that nearest runway thing, I'll take
1: fifteen hundred feet, man. Well, that's true, and I might go have to go out there and adjust it one of these days. But um, I figure if <laughs> I figure if I can't find a three thousand foot runway within gliding distance, I'll just put it down on the road. I see. Okay, but
2: that's, I not like, that's not why you called, is it? <laughs> oh, yeah, right. That's right. Well, we'll just move
0: along here. Dave Higgins <laughs> out there too. Dave's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. David, what's up? How you doing?
2: Oh, uh, doing well enough that I want to know every freaking runway within ten miles when I push the nearest button. Uh, not just the ones that are over three thousand feet. Well, uh, yeah, really. That's uh, like, yeah, that's like, like good. what Although I. It'd be a what I don't want. Here.
1: When I I push that button, what I don't want um, is the stuff that's, you know, unpaved. You know, somebody decided to to clear out a few pine trees, and and he's got a a uh, um, 1,000-foot ultralight strip that just happens to be in the database somewhere. I don't want to divert to that when there's something else that might be in the other direction that's much more suitable.
0: Yeah, but a minute ago you said you'd take a field. You you won't take a, a manicured you know taken care of. Uh, I'm not. Yeah, but, there's, Field, but there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff
1: out there that's not manicured. I that, there there was a reason I did it that way, and and, and as, soon as, out, yeah, you know. as soon as I figure out as soon as I as soon as I figure out what it was, I'll call you back. That's
0: right. And I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to you from the home office in Dover, New Hampshire, and. Uh, I've been back. I, you know, I'm sorry. I keep going on about this travel. i got to stop soon. I apologize. But uh, I'm, I've actually been, I'm in the middle day of, of actually being home for three consecutive days, which I've been looking forward to. Like, for Woo-hoo! A dog! It's like, yeah, I was going to have three days at home. But you know what? I, I'm kind of like footloose now. It's like, well, now what do I do? I don't know what to do with like three a, days off. Um, well, yeah, that's but, like a luxury. Uh, I go one more trip, and then life goes back to a little bit more like normal, and uh, all this crazy travel ends. But... Uh, I leave tomorrow, no, see, not tomorrow morning, I leave Tuesday morning for Philadelphia for a few days. Well, that's not, I mean, Philadelphia from Boston, that's, uh... I could almost uh, walk, yeah. You could almost walk, yeah, take the train. Yeah, no, I, actually, I wouldn't mind taking the train, but uh, they tell me how to get there, and, and my calendar yeah. tells me how to, how, how to deal with things. Anyways, so, uh, how you been doing? How's everything? We... Uh, things good we pretty much covered the flying without a license thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah what else yeah. is there no
1: about? What is there things are about? good i uh, uh, just you know still pick it up the pieces from sun and fun and uh, um, and remember uh,
2: just just because you think you can fly without a license doesn't mean that you should fly untrained so don't try it. this at home yeah
0: don't try. yeah oh absolutely don't try this at home we uh uh, if you didn't get the undercurrent, if you couldn't read between the lines, so to speak, uh, I certainly think it's a bad idea, and I think you guys did as well. Uh, yeah. yeah. So we we had a story a couple weeks ago about the fact that they had demonstrated uh, operating a, a, a an aircraft engine with this uh, what was it ninety two octane what was it um, ninety two swift swift fuel. No, no, this was a regular no, mo- this automobile is... gas, but now there's a story out here talking about how they've now proven, they've demonstrated flying a Continental-equipped aircraft with the yeah. Swift fuel, which is, uh, as I understand it, not at all a petroleum-based fuel, uh, and... Uh, I kind of think this is kind of interesting i i probably but if I think it's interesting, I probably ought to open up the story and get the details right. do you guys know anything about this uh, you you've been following either have you been following
2: oh, this one? We've, we've kind of we've kind of nibbled around it in, in on a peripheral in the past when we've talked about uh yeah. Yeah. Programs we talk about coming out of uh, uh Purdue University in Indiana mm-hmm. uh where most of the guys that uh have developed this fuel came from and got you know got their 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 uh Chemistry papers, and, right. uh, but in the
0: past it was just conceptual. They had this fuel; they've kind of played with it in the lab. But now apparently they've flown a uh, an actual aircraft.
2: Uh, oh, it, and I believe that they've subjected it to uh, international standards uh, requirements and found that it meets the the standards for the fuel and means it can be used interchangeably as far as meeting you know power and vapor pressure. Uh, standards that can be used interchangeably with 100 low lead, except it's about 104 octane, I believe it is, at the same, using the same rating standard, and is all the product of uh, of uh, biology and
0: yeah. Uh, now, have plant. we established that it doesn't have the the bad effects that we see with ethanol? It is not going to hurt your your uh, you know.
2: Oh, that's one of the reasons it, that that's. One of the things that you come away with when a fuel meets the uh, the International mm-hmm. okay. Standards Organization Right, All right. 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 okay. Right.
1: Well, yeah. so what's there, the what's there, There's no ethanol in this in this. Well, let's 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 make sure we're talking apples and apples here. Um, there was a story back in late April, April twenty three, or, or mid April, actually, I guess, about Continental and, and Hawker Beechcraft flying a, an A thirty six Bonanza on Swift fuel. Okay, um, and then there's there's also been I think another report of another perhaps Bonanza perhaps some other airplane flying on some other biofuel.
0: No, no but that's uh, not the story. I'm, hang on, let me see if I can find this story here from our past okay. lists here. Uh, uh, keep talking, I'll find it.
1: Here. But what, I, what I'm what I'm getting around to I guess is. Um, um, the the Swift fuel, okay, is basically uh, oh okay, okay. In this story, I'm, I'm reading it now. Third graph, the Swift fuel test flight occurred two weeks after TCM successfully flew on 94
0: UL. That's the one I'm remembering. Okay, no. yeah. okay, um, um, that's patrol-based auto fuel, basically, right? Right, um, right.
1: Um, so we're, we are talking apples and oranges, uh, at least
0: at least as far as this episode of the podcast is concerned. So I just think this is this is incredibly encouraging that uh, that we we've, oh, yeah. we've got it. What's the what's the downside of this? What's the bad news? What's the gotcha here about this Swift? Um, well, is it, is it expensive? The devils
1: in, is it the devils in the details? There's there's um, you know we don't know what this is going to cost at the pump. We don't know how it's going to get to the pump. We don't know what if any, changes to um, the fuel system or, and, and when I say fuel system, I'm thinking not just the tanks and the fuel lines and, and whatnot, but also um, the way the engine is set up. It's set up for 100 low lead. Do we have to set it up in some other fashion? For example, does a gallon of swift fuel or a gallon of, you know, Uncle Jeb's uh, backyard Avgas <laughs> um, have the same BTU content as Actually, a of we can answer those.
2: We can answer well, those questions now.
1: We, we can I mean, answer some are, of these questions they, now, but I guess what I'm getting at is putting aside the ASTM compliance and putting aside it's the same as Hunter Low LED, um, it's not Hunter Low LED. Okay. And no, will the will let me let me finish that. Will the engine ahead. perform the same Will the, will, can you do still lean of peak operations, for example? You know, these are a lot of other little little questions. Is is the engine going to have the same CHTs and same EGTs? Is it, are we going to have the same mileage, the same uh, gallons per hour? You know, all of these kind of little questions that start to pop up when you think about the practical application of a substitute fuel. I don't know the answers to those questions. Um i i I gather from you know the fact that we're just looking at initial press releases that no one else does either yeah
2: For what it's uh, that's worth. that's that's a mistaken impression. They already know that it has a higher heat content okay. they already know that it burns without some without most of the byproducts that come from petroleum based fuels. They already know that it runs at cooler temperatures overall. It takes less of it to go, develop as much horsepower because the heat content is. In the uh, 15 to 20 percent range higher, Uh, has no sulfur, requires no stabilizers, has a uh, lower freezing point, Uh, it's compatible with the components in the fuel systems, Uh, doesn't require any special treatment, Uh, doesn't need alcohol in it, and they say that they can make 1.8 million gallons a day using. Five percent of the existing biofuel plant infrastructure, which I think when they say that, they mean uh, uh, operations like they're using to make alcohol, but I'm not completely sure on that. Uh, the big thing is getting the infrastructure up to a mm-hmm. level to produce it economically. Uh, I saw a number the other day about hydrogen, where you know there's been big talk about the potential in hydrogen as either a combustion fuel or as a fuel cell uh, component. And didn't realize this, but this country already makes huge amounts of hydrogen just to satisfy industrial needs, mm-hmm. one of which is refining petroleum into gasoline, where the hydrogen is apparently used extensively. And if you diverted the hydrogen for that to driving fuel cell vehicles. You could power about 200 million fuel cell vehicles on what they use in man-made hydrogen to do petroleum distillation. So there's a lot of this that can be done by just shifting the focus of the existing infrastructure. Like we could make hydrogen out of the existing infrastructure, just not use it to refine petroleum. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got infrastructure to make biofuels if it was taken out of alcohol production specifically, which is not you know, proving to be a real gain overall, and put it to some of these alternative fuels, the Jatropha ge- 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 plant-based stuff, and this Swift fuel. Uh, apparently, we've already got a lot more infrastructure to support that than we realize.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I, my understanding about hydrogen, last time I paid attention to this, was that the big gotcha, with aside from distribution, which is a whole problem too, is how to efficiently store it in the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you well, not only efficiently
1: main, but, but safely store it. Well, that's uh, kind of my I main it, it, it is rather yeah. flammable, uh, yeah. if not if not explosive. Yeah, but apparently,
0: they're pretty uh, good at storing these things these days. The real question is how can, you know is is having a container that can hold enough of the stuff. Um, in a safe way, you know. But they know how to do it safely. The question is how how to pack <coughs> enough of it into a into the, you know, trunk of your car so that you can yeah, you know yeah. or, or yeah, the wing of your airplane or whatever. We
2: already have a distribution out the network out there called gas stations. You just right. add mm-hmm. hydrogen or you know, swift fuel for that matter, because if they can make a an AV gas out of this stuff, they ought to be able to put it pretty good dent in car gas too.
0: Yeah. Mm. I think it sounds incredible. This Swift Fuel stuff sounds incredibly promising. It,
1: it, it does. I, I'm just, you know, I'm just skeptical. That's yeah. all there is to it. You're you know, skeptic-
2: co- I think there's good color. reason to be skeptical, but I don't think it's the technology that we got to worry about. I think it's actually getting overcoming the inertia with the system we've got now. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: yeah. I think there are a lot of hurdles. Um, the, 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 Distribution and storage infrastructure is one of them. Um, the other hurdle is is the operators. Um, you know, on a dark and stormy night, um, do you wanna be burning hundred low lead or do you want to be burning something that's only been out a couple of years? I don't know. I, I'm just. I'm. Uh, I I'm, I'm, I'm don't trying don't to tell. keep an open mind.
0: But now, speaking of modifying your airplane or using your airplane in unusual ways, I, I was hoping maybe you guys could teach me something here because mm. I, I, I've always <laughs> been a little bit lost about these things. Okay, there's all these multiple letter, you know, two, three, four letter acronyms in in aviation. And uh, and although I kind of you know concept or, or, or contextually understand what they mean, uh, I'm I'm short on the exact details. And so um, I think what, for tonight's purposes, there are two that I think are related that I was hoping you could give me the short course on the okay. difference between a TSO and an mm-hmm. STC. Now, aren't, okay. That, are okay? That's definitely apples and oranges. It is okay. What's what's yeah. a TSO and what's an STC? Um, well, Dave, which one do you want to tackle first?
2: Uh, you, you take your pick. I'll tackle the other one.
0: Okay. Um,
1: a, a TSO stands for Technical Standard Order. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, um Given the... the the FAA's bureaucracy and the way it's structured—they they give out orders um, as opposed to directives, or of course they do have directives also. But anyway, uh, a technical standard order takes a specific um, uh, product, component, appliance, whatever you want to call it, um, designed for use in an aircraft, and. Um, develops technical standards for that product. Okay, let's, let's look at an ELT, an emergency locator transmitter. Um, the, the technical standard order for an ELT specifies the environment in which the device must function, specifies the g-loading it must withstand, specifies when and how it can be activated, specifies the frequencies on which it can transmit, the frequency tolerances um, um, uh, of, the, of the transmission, um, the g-loading, um, not only the device must sustain in, an, in a crash, but also the g-loading of the mounting mechanism um, and, and how it must withstand um, the crash. Um, all of these various different uh, factors uh, are specified in this TSO. Um, if we look, at it, for example, at a um, uh, let's say a, a artificial horizon gyro, um, the um, TSO might specify um, the uh, the color of the uh, the the face of the gyro. It might specify um how it would react under certain circumstances of you know a left bank a right bank and then a climb it it must be able to uh go through that particular set of maneuvers with with minimal uh, specific, uh, specific amount of precession for example okay. um if it's um, electric powered uh it must have uh um, um Certain uh, um, circuitry built into it. If it's air or uh, vacuum powered, it must uh, spin uh, um, in, in a fashion that it uh, it's, it can operate um, at a certain RPM. For example, I, I, I'm just I'm just kind of thinking up different yeah, parameters
2: so, for this. So, a TSO, but, so,
1: so once ahead. you have a TSO, once you have a TSO on a specific product or a compl uh, appliance, whatever you call it. um And you have the TSO in hand. That component can then be installed in any certificated aircraft. Uh, uh, For example, if I had a TSO gyro and and, um, the gyro in my panel went bad, I could pop in another TSO gyro and I wouldn't need... Um, a whole bunch of paperwork. I wouldn't need to get FAA approval to do that. Okay. I wouldn't need drum roll, please, as I segue into a supplemental type certificate.
0: That's right. See, so to install that gyro now. Before we move on to STC here, um, the a TS. I know there's been talk about the fact that some of the devices, uh, particularly avionics devices, that are being added to experimental aircraft, and, and I think some LSAs. Mm-hmm. Is it what is it that they're Lacking, not lacking in a bad way. They just, there's some certification that they don't comply with. They don't, they're not TSO. They're not, exactly. That's what I was wondering. They're not TSO. Which doesn't mean
2: that it can't be used in an aircraft. Right. Uh, TSOs, in generally, just to close one loop, uh, with the exception of a few pieces of equipment, the only place TSOs are required is if the aircraft is going to be used for hire. There are other areas where you can only use TSO'd equipment. Like if you want to use, if you want to fly IFR with the GPS, it has to meet the TSO okay. for IFR uh, global right. positioning and system. So
0: that's we're kind But of you don't have
2: to have a tso You don't necessarily have to have a TSO'd cylinder head temperature gauge in the airplane if that's not required in the airplane, okay. and it's not required unless you're going to use the airplane for hire. Okay. STCs. Yeah are amendments to original type certificates. When Cessna, Hawker Beach, Bombardier, Learjet, Mooney, Aviat, when any of those folks win approval for a new airplane, it's called a type certificate. They're awarded a type certificate. It says that that airplane complies with the FAA requirements under either, for our choices, usually far part 23, uh, or maybe far point part 25, if you're flying heavier and faster stuff uh, as a GA pilot. Uh, Under those two standards, aircraft is approved uh, as having met requirements for how it handles, how it recovers from upset, its trim characteristics, Boy, as the aircraft get more complex and into uh, turbine-powered? There's more and more requirements they have to meet. For example, if it's got pressurization, uh, it has to meet standards for how it performs with the pressurization system. All that stuff gets wrapped up under one piece of paper that the FAA issues to the manufacturer. says that this beach, Cessna, Hawker Beach, Learjet, whatever meets the requirements of FAR Part 23 or Part 25, amendment, such and such. And then the company can sell those airplanes as factory built. Later on, they get a production certificate that says that they can build the airplane and self-inspect it. And the FAA itself doesn't have to come out and inspect every one that they build, which is the case if they don't have a production certificate. Anyway, so now... Jack Hodgson comes along, and he comes up with this gee whiz little electronic widget that every pilot wants, and to be able to maximize its sales potential, he applies to the FAA for a amendment, a supplemental type certificate to that Cessna, Hawker Beach, Mooney, whatever, that says that this widget can be installed in that aircraft, and it will be in compliance with the original type certificate that this is safe to put in the aircraft that it doesn't adversely affect the operation of the aircraft then you go further and you ask for an approved model list STC which says that the STC applies to say 400 different single engine and multi-engine piston aircraft under uh, 12,500 pounds. Now Anybody can buy that widget from you, and without getting special field approval or going through extra paperwork, they can put that widget in the airplane, put that STC in the airframe logbook or the power plant logbook, if it's like an ignition system or some other engine thing, and go on and fly it just like that widget was originally installed by the factory. Mm-hmm. Okay. And sometimes the STC things that you want have to have a TSO first. So they get tso then they get STC'd, as it's safe to put in the airplane, and then the manufacturers go on and sell lots of little stc TSO'd items and make money. Mm-hmm.
0: So is it is it possible to kind of easily boil down the circumstances under which your basic aircraft owner needs to worry about whether things meet these criteria? Um... Well, I
1: think it's important for a for an aircraft owner to know the distinctions. Um, for example, um, you couldn't put a um, and I don't I don't I don't know the let's let's call it Jeb's backyard uh, GPS navigator um, into uh, a certificated airplane uh, and go happily on your merry way. Um, you would need at a minimum a field approval right to put that to put that in. And the field approval is kind of like a one time STC. Um if you do it right um, and by doing it right I mean talking to the FAA, uh talking to the local FISDO, airworthiness inspector long before you even cut metal. Um, uh you can you can actually you know put that kind of stuff into your airplane. Um but for the average owner, you want to stick with STC'd or TSO'd uh, equipment. Now, if you really want to throw a wrench into the works, uh, we could talk about owner-produced parts, um, which is a whole. Let's let's well, save that a, for another day. Yeah, yeah let's I, let's I, I let's mean, save that for another day. As, in got fact, plenty to chew on for now. Um, um, yeah, but um, um, you know, one thing also here too, talking about. Um, production certificates and conformance to the original type design and things of this sort um, you know, some of these newer airplanes um, um, far 23 uh, certificated airplanes um, you know have what are for for all intended purpose automotive parts in them they're not you know structural or anything mm-hmm. they're not um, uh, critical systems but I'm thinking of um uh, one particular airplane uh, recently got um, um, a new de-icing system, or actually a, 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 a flight-and-known icing uh, system installed and approved by the FAA. Well, it's it's interesting. The um, um, It's a TKS-based system. TKS is an anti-icing fluid, and I'm sure uh, uh, many of our listeners are familiar with it. Um, one of the... Um, things in getting uh, uh, known ice approval from the FAA is keeping the windshield clear. Well, this particular manufacturer accomplished this by simply using um, some automotive-grade uh, windshield washer nozzles mounted strategically on the cowling, um, and they run TKS fluid through that. And that is that is an approved, uh, FAA-approved application. Um the manufacturer can do a lot of stuff that the guy in the field can't. Right. Okay. Uh, when it comes to you know uh, getting a type design and and, and uh, um, uh, get, once once they have a production certificate, of course, um, um, going uh, uh, and, and making modifications.
0: Interesting. Thank you. Thank you. We'll come back on this. I, I think. Yeah. As a as a 300 hour you know private pilot, I, I have less exposure to this stuff than you do, and we talk about it. And these things come out from time to time. And certainly wandering the the exhibits and press conferences at at Sun and Fun and and Airventure, you hear these things all the time, and you kind of get the context of what they're talking about. But the details yeah. are—it's interesting to see how they all fit together. And I and, think and it, it's, it's good to know if you—you know—I'm considering buying an airplane. Anybody sure. who wants an airplane ought to be somewhat up to speed on this stuff to make sure. You
2: we know. could help you by enrolling you in generally in the general aviation acronym home study course. <laughs> exactly. Available <laughs> exclusively. Available like, exclusively through aircraft ownership. Yeah. Buying an aircraft will introduce you to terms, s- phrases, slogans, catchwords, and epithets that you might not otherwise be familiar with. Except with is, getting the special. bill and asking the right. mechanic, it costs how much? <laughs> That's right, yeah.
1: yeah, one acronym we discussed on the on the podcast in the past is the AMU. The the, the Aviation Maintenance Unit, currently valued at about $1,000. And whenever something breaks on the airplane, how many AMUs is it going to take to fix it?
0: Thank you. We'll do more of that because I think that's kind of interesting. It's interesting to me, so hopefully it's interesting to a few other people. I hope so, too. Hey, we have this week a uh, uh, we not simply an off-field landing of the week. We have a celebrity off-field landing of the week. Um, I think anybody who's paying attention to the aviation news over the last couple weeks or last week or so uh, have heard the story that uh, that uh, air show uh, uh, legend in his own time, Sean D. Tucker. Uh, suffered a, a, uh, an engine out of some sort, apparently he ran out of gas uh, while flying near his home airport down in uh, central California and uh, chose to land on a, a highway. Uh, and uh, he just kind of set it down on the highway. I mean, it's like we've heard these stories all the time. Well, even, even Sean D. Tucker will occasionally have to put it down on a highway. Uh, he, <laughs> he probably had filtered out all the runways less than 3,000 feet on his GPS and couldn't hit the button and... Uh, you're not going for it. You're not biting. Huh? All right. Um, so uh, interesting story. I mean, I you know, there's not a lot to this story as near as we can tell. Uh, he simply what the interesting thing I would like to know more about, and I don't know whether you guys have read any of the uh, other stories on it. I haven't heard what caused him to run out of gas. Did he simply yeah. run out of gas, well, or did he, he have a leak, or
2: he actually he actually issued a statement. Germany, uh, uh, a couple of days. Uh, Oh, I guess it was later on the same day uh no Sunday evening, Wednesday on the sixth, he issued an updated uh, a statement involving it and said it was a precautionary landing because of a malfunction in the fuel computer mm-hmm. uh, okay. and his crew came by and checked out the airplane and the highway patrol stopped traffic so he could take off and fly home uh, he didn't respond to request for clarification or at least hadn't so far that i've seen in print on whether they added fuel but i know if i had a question how much bloody fuel was in there <laughs> and i'd made a yeah. precautionary freaking landing on a yeah. road not yeah. because i was dead stick but because i was preemptive you know i'd bloody well be adding fuel to it i'd, I'd probably ask him to bring it up to top the sucker off uh-huh.
0: uh, yeah Yeah. that's right um one taxi you right up to
1: the FBO, and you know, bring the truck around the front, guys.
0: Yeah. One interesting Yuck. bit that came out of this, I'm pretty sure it was this story. It's that I'm reading, I'm looking at the Avweb story here. He's actually, uh, uh, Sean has actually been uh, interviewed uh, in uh, in audio and video. Um, both by the AvWeb folks and by the Aero News folks. And uh, I confess I haven't watched or listened to either of those, but I read the, I believe it was the Aero News uh, also gave a text summary of this. And I believe what Sean said um, out of this story was that he started having, he noticed he was having engine problems that he suspected were related to some sort of pending, looming fuel starvation thing. And, uh, and he just immediately decided he was going to put it down on this highway. And then as he was setting up to go down into the highway, it started to occur to him that he could actually make it back to his field, but he chose not to go that way. He said, I, I decided to stick with my initial plan, all right, mm-hmm. which is which is something that a lot of instructors will train you, that, that they'll say, you know, don't change your mind halfway through your emergency procedure. Yeah. And, uh, yes. um, and I think that's an interesting lesson for us to yeah. uh, kind of keep in mind.
1: One other interesting thing about this is, you know, Irrespective of whether this was a fuel exhaustion problem, um, uh, a fuel indicator, fuel quantity indicator problem, uh, an engine problem, um, or, or some other issue, um, the airplane didn't get a scratch on it. Uh, he's not injured.
2: Actually, he, he confessed that they did scratch it.
1: Did they? Oh, oh. Yeah. Oh man! Oh, okay. He got a scratch on it. He flew he, it know, out. Uh,
2: yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and and, and in, in that statement that he gave on yeah. the sixth, uh, he did say, uh, "Oh no, I'm sorry. We did not put a scratch on the airplane. Okay. and did okay. not jeopardize any oh, vehicles." Good. I'm okay. sorry, good. I was wrong. Okay. I misread that.
1: So, so the punchline is that uh, he handled this correctly. You know, it, yeah. it's easy to it's easy to second guess someone who didn't. It's easy to second guess someone who did but you can't argue with success and uh um uh he he did everything right given given the circumstances
0: neither none of us were there and uh um you know hey Absolutely uh, absolutely as we've done so many times in the past a uh, an uncontrolled airspace tip of the wing to uh, Sean D Tucker for successfully uh saving himself in his airplane uh, when he had problems in the air that was great that was
1: great and, and, well, that's, that's, and that's, Strike, and not striking out for home plate either, because you know if he if he had you know I don't know where he was in relation to the nearest airport or um, um, near his home his home airport, but um, um, if he had said, no I'm not going to land on this highway, I'm going to go on to to where my car is five miles further, right. and he gets about two miles and the engine shuts down and he's S O L. And he lands in somebody's backyard, and you'll never hear the end of it. That's right. <clears throat> this way, he did the right thing, and uh, he, he didn't get halfway there, and, and, and the whole thing, you know, soiled the bed. So. And um, for
2: anybody that didn't recognize that aviation technical term, SOL, that means swiftly outlanding. <laughs> sure,
1: that's what it means. That's, that's what, it means. what it Thank you, Dave. <laughs> 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 Saved again
2: so
0: a posting in the forums uh, about uh, well April 23rd so that would make it a couple weeks back um uh, specifically uh, addressed to our Dave, uh, and it says, Dave, uh, I had lunch with Eddie Sorenman. Am I pronouncing that right, David?
2: Sorenman. Saar- Sh- Saurinman.
0: Yeah. this past Sunday. And uh, he was particularly interested to hear that you, Dave, have a big part in the UCAP podcast. Then, this poster writes, he says, he recalled a little trip you and he took in an Aviat <laughs> Monocoop 110 special out of Afton, Wyoming, some years ago. I won't go into details, but I would love to hear your side of that adventure.
2: <laughs> How about it,
0: sir? So, David, what's uh, the story here? Is there, a, is there an adventure that you haven't shared with us?
2: I'm trying to figure out how to send you a text message here. I'll send you the link. <laughs> oh, okay.
0: No. Uh, is
1: this the link to the AvWeb story? Yes. Yeah. Good, because I was going to go yeah, look that
0: uh,
2: up. You uh, made the
0: news? Okay, I know I really want to hear this. No,
1: story. no, no.
2: Well, we, we, we,
1: way back in the day when, when I was running uh, AvWeb, um, Uh, We did a feature article on this, uh, on the airplane and on Dave's flight in it, Um, and i can go look it up, but uh, Dave's got the uh, the link. Send me the link.
0: He's going to send it eventually when he figures out how to do this.
2: Well, the story is that actually about four times in the course of a week, Ed Mm -hmm. uh, took me flying in the one and only prototype of the 110 Special. Uh, as he intended to modernize it. Now, Ed's uh, competitive and airshow quality aerobatic pilot. He's also an air, air, aerospace engineer, aircraft engineer. He did the, uh, some of the major design work, for example, on the uh, Pitts Model 12, uh, uh, the Super Stinker before that. Model 12 evolved as a two-seater out of a single-seat Super Stinker. Uh, Ed got access to the rights to the uh, old Monocoupe 110 and uh, gave it a modern engine and outfitted it with some modern avionics, built a prototype, uh, and we went flying out in the valleys there of uh, around Afton, Wyoming, uh, doing some crazy fun aerobatics in this airplane. Uh-huh. That's a little clip. This was a little racer and aerobatic airplane back in its day in the in the... Uh, What was it? Late 20s, early 30s. It was one of the early monoplane designs that was uh, uh, somewhat successful. Two-place, side-by-side, tailwheel. uh, Had a big round engine, I believe a Warner in its original form. I should go back and read my story, I guess. Yeah. But uh, uh, it screamed. Had a 210-horse Lycoming in it. uh, Fuel-injected. Uh, it was aerobatic, had spades on the rudders, had a lot more uh, stability than the original because of some changes that Ed made to it. None of which actually changed the fundamental look or old-fashioned uh, characteristics of the of the airplane's physical appearance, right down to the little tiny-ass doors that you had to scoot your butt in and out of before your legs could follow. Sounds cool. Uh, it was definitely old school in that regard, and go like spit. And w- one of the more fun times that we had was racing down this uh, valley south of Afton, Wyoming, uh, with uh, wingtips and terrain in a close enough proximity that you could, if you could blink twenty-four times a second, it looked like a motion picture. Uh huh.
0: So you were close, is what you're saying.
2: It was a blur.
0: It was a blur, okay, yeah. Jeb, did you find that link? Can you send it to us? I'm curious to
2: see. Okay, here we go, there we go. I think I got it. Did you guys just get a text message? Uh,
0: I got it. This is December 2, 1999. Is this proof positive that Dave actually yeah. wrote for Avob at it. one point? that's 9? it, yeah. This is a
2: big article. That's it. Yeah, Avob
0: used to write really long articles, huh? Yeah, uh, that's cool. what I was running on the show. Cool. All right, we'll put this in the show notes. And uh, Coupe de Thrill, Aviat. Resurrect's Monocoupe Racy one ten special is a nineteen fifty style hot rod with speed and spunk.
2: We had a lot of fun.
0: Uh, by Dave Hignon in,
2: in those days. Photographs. Uh, oh, we Dave we did.
0: still we still do. Yeah,
2: yeah we still do. It was a different time. Uh, yeah. but uh this was one of those trips that uh that actually happened because of a convergence of multiple clients' interests. So we were able to pull off a trip that neither client would have uh, uh, sprung for by themselves and give everybody some neat stuff that uh, the other guy didn't get. So Mm -hmm. this was one of those instances. And you'll see the pictures, those of you that decide to follow the link to the old story. God, that's almost 10 years ago now. That's right. Uh, We were still shooting film in those days. It uh, shows you just how good the old stuff could be, and uh, most of the air-to-airs on this were shot through the canopy of a pit, hmm. yeah. which kind of limited some of the shooting angles and some of the opportunities because uh, wearing dark clothes and things like that and then working to make sure that there was no reflection of the photographer, uh, all while trying not to scratch the glass, but they built a beautiful airplane. I, should try to find out where it is today. I
1: was going to ask. Uh, you know, they only built one of them. They were hoping to market it and sell a few more, but they only did end up building one. Where is it now?
2: I have to find out about that. it's a pretty airplane. Mm-hmm. And when it showed up at when it showed up at Oshkosh later, uh, and I'd already flown it like, boo and wa. <laughs>
0: Uh, moving on here. Um, use caution. By the way, one of you, I believe it's Jeb, is uh, doing a little heavy breathing on your microphone here. So, uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it sounds like. Anyway, somebody must be scratching his belly. <laughs>
0: Oh, well, that's too much information. That's TMI for sure. I, I wish. So here's a story from Olivehurst, California. Two crop duster planes collided Tuesday afternoon. Oh uh, man! Yuba County aircraft. I hate what that you, know, you know, and so that's sort of. So fortunately, it's a it's a disturbing picture. Of these airplanes really. One of them got chewed up pretty good, and uh, they're sitting. On and the they
2: runway. both lived.
0: And, and and yeah, but and and fortunately, both of them lived. One of them went to the hospital. And they
2: both lived. They, my, um, my favorite. Holy, line, expletive please. <laughs> <laughs> my. Uh,
0: you know, my my favorite line from this is: "It's unknown why the airplanes crashed into each other." That's just <laughs> <laughs> because they were trying to occupy the, the same, same space aeros- at the same time. So, yeah. Exactly. You know, or secondarily because they were both flown by du- by crop duster pilots who are like crazy <laughs> people. All right? So, tell you have you guys
2: ever been up not- close to these airplanes?
0: I've driven by them on the highway once or twice, and it is just scary, astounding to watch them fly. These airplanes, they well, do. Well, the,
2: the this is a particular area. Which my buddy the Leprechaun specializes, yep. and he's been known to tr- hey, fix these airplanes up for export, ones that have been retired here, being exported to other countries, where it, you know it's still going to have a useful life, even though it's been out, you know, it's been pasteurized here. And uh, man, I got to tell you, uh, first time I looked over one of these things that. It reminded me of if you took a steerman with all the weight in tubes, mm-hmm. steel tubes, and all that, and took away one wing, shrank it down to one cockpit, mm-hmm. but left the rest of the structure that heavy duty. Yeah. It's like these are bloody freaking armored vehicles on wings. Yeah, Except you know they're not carrying bombs or guns. They, you know they're carrying uh, uh, fertilizer or herbicide or bugicide or whatever. Uh, so I look at this exactly. and I still go and and they both lived. Yeah. Holy expletive! Well, bleep. Yeah.
1: Well, the they, uh, the they, the cockpits of these things, you know, the the are made you know steel tube. They're basically you know NASCAR roll cage. Uh, kind of, kind of stuff and, you know, five point harnesses and, you know, all this kind of thing. Um, it's, it's, uh, it, it's not uncommon for a, a crop duster to total an airplane for one, one reason or another, uh, and walk away because of the way the, the cockpit is, is, uh, uh made to, yeah. for fresh weariness. Yeah.
2: Well, and usually those are, you know, those are like single driver accidents. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I, This definitely one like, of these took the, sh- the run of the collision, but, uh, um,
2: you yeah. know. Oh yeah, Way man. I, at, I, yeah. I Look at the, the the tangle angle on these uh-huh. things, and I still come back to my original comment. Holy yeah expedi yeah.
0: i mean if yeah. you, it, to our listeners, if you ever have a chance if you 're driving through some sort of farm country or in, in, and you see a, 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 a you know crop, we call them cross batches these days what do they call them Ap- agricultural applicators right um, the, you got to check this out because these guys fly like maniacs it 's like an air show i mean it 's like an air show right there over over the alfalfa field and mm-hmm. uh, Um, you know, where, you know, it's like, you know, a routine procedure is, oh, I'll just go under the wire, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, these guys just are nuts. And they, and it's really amazing because they'll go down and they'll, you know they'll go skimming across the top of the crops, you know, spraying whatever it is they're applying and and then they'll reach the end of the field and they'll just like do this dramatic pull up, you know, and they'll kind of do this uh I don't know what's that what's that maneuver called, but you know they basically uh, do a wing over, a wing over kind of thing where they do sort of a 180 almost vertical and then come back down and get another row and uh, they they really fly these airplanes, you know, and then they do a bunch of passes and then the, typically there's a little runway sort of nearby um, or a landing strip of some sort, you know, along the edge of the field, and they'll they'll land there and roll up to a truck and fill up the tanks again and go out and do it again. And uh, it's it's pretty amazing flying. Um, but the idea really
2: to, amazing flying.
0: To, the idea that two of them might end up trying to occupy the same space at the same time just doesn't surprise me all that much. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but we are happy that these guys both were okay. Uh, and uh, uh, it's it's a whole other kind of flying, if you ask me. Yeah. It's,
1: uh, way, way back in the day. Um, when I was uh, working the line at the local airport pumping gas one summer. Um, we basically had two commercial operators at the airport. One was uh, a regional air carrier, uh, Air South, that ran Beach Ninety Nines uh, up to Atlanta, and uh, the other commercial operator was the crop duster at the south end, at the other end of the field. And I distinctly remember one afternoon when. The uh, Beach 99 was coming in, landing on the big runway, and sure enough, Dropbuster came in from the other direction, sat down, and uh, landed about the same time the Beach 99 did and taxied off at his, in his taxiway. And um, the 99, you know, didn't say anything, just kind of taxied off to its little gate, and and uh, everybody was happy. But, yeah, there were, there were two airplanes on the same runway at the same time headed in opposite directions.
0: Fun stuff, guys. Fun stuff, fun stuff. That's right. Hey, we're reaching the end of our allotted time here. Uh shout outs. Anybody got any shout outs? Yeah, I got one. Go and I, 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 I apologize.
1: I don't know this gentleman's name. Uh his name is um uh he, he goes by EDS pilot seventy two on a um, DC area uh uh pilots uh list that I, I uh, participate in. Uh signs his emails Ed's pilot. Uh, Ed's Pilot 72. Um, He put up a note a couple, of three weeks ago now uh, that he was buying an R-22, a Robinson R-22 helicopter. And he was going to, presuming it passed uh, pre-buy and and all this kind of stuff, he was going to airline down to Dallas and he was going to fly the R-22 from Texas to uh, Manassas, Virginia, or wherever he was going to base it um where did he where did he get to uh frederick i'm sorry uh frederick maryland and he just put up a post this evening on that same email list um he he did the deed 1118 nautical miles 16.9 hours on the Hobbs. um but he's got his uh uh, r22 beta 2 back home um um not bad. I, 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 when he first floated this, I was like, "Dude, you know that's a little bit hardcore." Um, uh, flying, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> you know, fl, flying any helicopter across country, yeah, yeah. flying fly any helicopter across country is is a little um, uh, out of the ordinary. Let's put it that way. Flying an R twenty two from Texas to Maryland is is hardcore. I'm sorry, uh, that's where I come in. But um, uh, he he did it. He had a great time. Um, A couple of weather delays and diverts and and stuff like that. But um, uh, it all worked out. And he's like, Happy Mother's Day. I'm home. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Shazam, good job, guy. Yeah,
0: that's
1: great. Outstanding.
0: Outstanding. Uh, I have a couple of uh, just reminders here. Uh, I've talked about this in the past. Well, let me first talk about the more the, the one that's coming up sooner. Uh, anyone who's listens to this podcast promptly when it first comes up on the net, um, the what will be this coming weekend uh, at uh, at Northampton Field or Hampton Airfield in uh, Northampton, New Hampshire. This weekend, May sixteenth and seventeenth, they will be holding their annual uh, fly-in and aviation flea market. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really fun uh, uh, event with a lot of cool airplanes that come in and uh, a flea market uh, right. not, not dissimilar to the fly market we see. H- Hang on a second. Hang on a second. Yeah. Who's, who's got the train? The train. It's like I told you, I live right next to a train station. It's the first time I've heard the train. You know, that's cool. I'm, that's I'm cool. It's because I'm using a different a better microphone these days. I'm ladies and ladies and gentlemen of UCAP, we are multimodal. That's right, yes. That's right. The NTSB covers all parts of this podcast. And
2: when sure. Jack gets done, he makes tracks.
0: That's right. Oh, Ooh. So anyways, Hampton Airfield, the annual <laughs> fly-in and aviation flea market, May 16th and 17th, uh, Saturday and Sunday. Mm. Uh, I'm going to be out of town on Saturday, which was unfortunately going to be the really cool day. But uh, Sunday as well, I'm going to stop on by there and check it out. Also, a reminder, uh, coming up in, our, in um, uh sort of uh, late, early uh, uh, July, July 10th, uh, let me find the exact dates here, is the Yankee Ultralight Fly-In uh, at uh, Sanderson Field in Greenland, New Hampshire, uh, which is basically the ultralight fly-in that's not only for ultralights. And it's the the uh, 10th through the uh, 18th of July. It's a, a blast. Sadly, I'm going to be out of town the entire time that that's happening this year, so I'm going to miss out. But uh, check out those fly-ins if you're in the New England area. They're a lot of fun anything else David you can you want to jump on here
2: I'm gonna do a quick shout out to pilot Bill from Texas and Jay schnood Jay
0: yes schnood. I was
1: getting to yes. the, the, the I'm not sure about Jay how to schnood. You,
2: dude. Uh, yeah your profiles you know anyway uh, I posted a question on the uh, aviation answers the three most useless things <laughs> to a pilot <laughs> Just curious how quick somebody would come back with the stock, you know, uh, fuel on the ground, runway way behind you, air above you. Right. And I think it took Pilot Bill about, you know, uh, nano days to do that. <laughs> yeah, but okay. Jay Schnoots came back with a, an actually really funny answer that yes. I think makes it, it, it at the very least a tie.
1: We, we have a winner. Are
2: correct, too.
1: Not- not only do we have a winner, but we, I think
0: we have a new standard. That's right, yeah. So, have a new so Jay Snood's answer to the three most useless things are
2: the FAA, the Department of Homeland Security, and a delivery slot for the Eclipse 500. (laughs) That's
0: great. We
1: have a winner. I think we have a winner here.
2: So thank you, gentlemen, for your contributions. We'll try to come up with another one here in the next couple of weeks. The grand prize will be a week of listening to UCAP while tied down during a waterboarding demonstration by given, by
1: Dick, given by Dick Cheney, yeah. That's right. Well, okay, on that note,
0: it's time to stick a fork in what, this one uh, for sure. What,
1: what are the two most dangerous things in aviation? Uh, We've I talked about up. this. What are the two most what dangerous? Are the, um, the two most dangerous things in aviation are a private pilot with a number two Phillips screwdriver Yeah, and two pilots trying to fly the same airplane at the same time.
0: Yeah, there you go. Now, there you go. We
1: <laughs> need to add to this list. So... Um, to, I uh, guess we, it's
0: a new section in the forums. We'll have to yeah, see what we yeah, can do that. But we'll, 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 we're looking for input. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Time to stick a fork in this one. Thank you, Jeb. Jeb Burnside is an aviation journalist. He's currently serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Where can people find you on the internet, Jeb?
1: Find me at aviationsafetymagazine.com and uh, also at AvWeb. And one of these days, you and I are going to find some spare time and we're going to hook up and get my personal website back up and running. I almost. Well, I almost tackled that this afternoon.
2: And that, I know a really nice airport where you could hang out while you're doing that.
0: For future yeah, reference, your website is jeburnside.com, right? Yeah. yeah. The, yes, exactly. That's right. Hey, and Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer an aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales magazine. And where can people find you on the Internet, David?
2: Oh, uh, avbuyer.com, which is the portal to the uh, World Aircraft Sales site. It's down at the bottom. They got a digital edition. Uh, aea.net, where I occasionally pop up in the dig- digital edition of Avionics News. Uh, Dave Higdon.biz, uh, the forum site here. Uh, and who knows? I may get booked into a jail somewhere in the future, where I hope to do stand-up comedy for the inmates. <laughs>
0: I just, all right.
1: We all, I get, we all have things we must aspire to. Right, yeah.
0: And I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Learn more about me at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. As always, we want to give send out a big thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes, and absolutely, also, yep. And uh, also to our many listeners, and particularly to Royce Earl and Mike Morgan for the show opening disclaimer clips. Uh, and don't forget that you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, you can view the forums. The forums are just a just a happen place, and there's all kinds of fun things going on. For example, the three things uh, that are useless to a pilot thread is there. Also, check out the wiki, uh, the airport restaurants list, the aviation movies list, and more. And that's all at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say?
2: Live longer and fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That's yeah. why I'm actually 143. <laughs> that's
0: exactly <laughs> right. And that's <laughs> enough talking. Let's go flying.
1: <laughs> TTFN. I hope hope the pilot had to fish. <laughs>